You know, I feel at home. I want to tell you something. This is my pulpit. Does everybody know that? Yeah, this is my pulpit. This is the one I built. Well, actually, somebody else built it for me. I modified it to make it more, a little more traditional because I like bigger pulpits and more traditional. Then I hear you sing uh, The Victory in Jesus. That was our church theme song. And then to be in a church down south because up north it's not quite like this down, uh, up there uh, like it is down here. Uh, in fact, I, I, um, I used to say this, uh, when you... When you come up, come on up to New York. We got a place we'll let you stay, and we used to have a room up there. You come up and let you stay, and bring a camera, because you'll see things you'll never see again in New York. Probably the first thing being your camera, <laughs> but I, you know because we're known for being uh, that that type of people up there. But uh, but I come from Fonda. I just I didn't share that with you last night. Fonda, New York. That's actually where Jane Fonda's heritage is from. Uh, we don't brag on that. Uh, my brother's from. It was in the Vietnam War. He doesn't like her very well, uh, but uh, that's where she was from. She visited there uh, a while ago. But I come from Fonda, and Fonda is just in the vicinity of Albany, which is the capital of, of uh, New York. In Albany, we have the supreme title of being the least biblical area in all of the United States. Isn't that amazing? The Barner Report came out like that. Uh, when you go to doors, door to doors up home, you you normally uh, don't even get you don't ever get in the door, but you hardly ever even talk to anybody because once they see it's you, that's you know that's just that wacko. You know he's just coming around again. But we went and we kept going. I remember I want to share this as I started because it was on my heart uh, just a little while ago. Uh, we the themes of, of these days is the the first one was the passion for his prayer house. Right that was last night the passion for his prayer house. Tonight is the passion for his people, and tomorrow we'll be having a passion for pity, his pity, because we're going to talk about hell tomorrow night. And then Sunday, obviously, we get to be a passion for his passion. But I remember one, uh, one day, we were getting ready to go out soul winning, and I, I got on my knees and I prayed, Lord, we, we're just not making any headway here at all. And I, I prayed that you just give me something today, someone today. I said, at least talk to me. And we went about in, uh, our daily soul winning and uh, went door to door. And I was in a trailer park in our area. And I knocked on the door. And this lady opened the door. And she looked at me. And she said, who are you? And I said, I'm Pastor Prime from Saving Grace Baptist Church. And she went and started bawling. She literally grabbed a hold of both my arms and yanked me into the house. See, I'm not much of a religious woman, but I just prayed you here. And I came in through the door, and she said, there's my husband. He's got three weeks to live. And I wanted someone to talk to him. And I went in there and sat down with him. He had lung cancer. And that man trusted Christ as his Savior. And just to, about to the day, uh, he went to be with the Lord. I'm sorry, I'm an emotional type guy. I think I told you that last night. Listen, I have a website called lordsaveme.org. It's a Saving Grace website. Easy one to remember, lordsaveme.org. Uh, when you go to that, you'll see on it a gift from God. And if you click onto that icon, how many are familiar with uh, Caleb Garraway? He's an evangelist. I think that's how you pronounce it. Gar Garraway? I think it is. Anyways, he's a powerful young evangelist that does, um, he's got a ministry of these videos. And I had called him and asked him if I could embed that into my site. I tell you this because I don't want anybody leaving here thinking that uh, you can't reach everybody you know. Because that's one of the easiest ways you can do that. You can say this to them. Say, there's a, there's a man that I heard preach over at Choice Hills Baptist Church or... There's a man that I know that's friend of Pastor Stewart. He has a website, and on that website, you can go there on your own and click onto that icon, and it's about a 14-minute video that is the clearest presentation of the gospel that I have ever seen in my life. And I've already uh, used it several times, once just before I came down here with my insurance agent who didn't want to talk to me about the Lord, and I said, 
just click on the website and you can get all the information what I was just trying to tell you. He did. And I haven't heard from him since. But I know he's probably convicted by it. He has to be. And I'm hoping by the time I get back home, I get to talk to him again and he would come to know Christ as his Savior. Now, I'm not sure uh, what day you believe Christ died on. I've done the research. I've done the college courses and all that stuff about, well, there's good points to Wednesday night. There's good points to Thursday night. And believe it or not, there's even some good points to Friday, even though I don't believe it was that. But uh, So I thought I'd choose the one in the beginning, Thursday. That's why I picked tonight for the theme of this message, which is a view from the cross. So I would like you to turn to John 19, if you would. We're going to start reading there in just a minute. But the Word of God is so powerful in John 19. It's not that the whole Word isn't powerful, but it's so powerful in John 19 that most of the message will be just that, reading the Word tonight. Because it had an amazing effect on me when I was over in Israel. We're always telling people to look to the cross, aren't we? We're saying, look to the cross. And uh, I was one that looked to the cross 35 years ago and uh, trusted on Christ as my Savior. Uh, But tonight I'm going to preach on this thought, and it comes from a very personal passion of mine, uh, uh, an emotional moment that happened to me over in Israel. And uh, I want to talk about a look from the cross. What did Jesus see when he was on that cross? Has anybody here been over to Israel? Anybody at all had been there? I've been there, and that's right, brother. I talked to you last night. That's good. And uh, I've been there and did all the different places. Couldn't get to Yad Vashem, as I said last night. I couldn't get into the Holocaust Museum. Uh, But we saw most everything else that was important, at least to me, uh, to see. Now, when, when in Israel, I stood only about a few feet away from Golgotha. If you're familiar with Israel, Golgotha does look like a skull. And it's just outside the gate. It's just up a little ways up on top of the hill, outside the gate. It's now occupied by Muslim territory. Uh, has antennas on it now and all those different things. But I stood a few feet away from the very, the very place that Christ was crucified. When I stood there, it was overwhelming to me. The entire trip was an overwhelming trip. But that moment, something got hold of me and changed my life forever. In fact, that day it changed the way I looked at my own salvation. I realized at that moment there was a view from a cross that I had not considered or, or, or at that moment anyways, or not considered before. Uh, and here I was. I was standing at the foot of the Calvary, and I'm looking out from where the cross once stood. You know, it was, it was amazing just to look up there and look at the empty tomb, and, and, tomb, and then I was, uh, they had me lead a communion there. Uh, uh, right there, there's a place where you can sit down and have communion with little wooden cups, and, and we did that, and I was fortunate and blessed to do that. They even asked me to preach in Nazareth, and while I was in Nazareth, I couldn't preach. I started to cry as I was preaching, street preaching to the people that were there. I, it dawned on me that I was called to my own Nazareth down in a town that I was ro- uh, raised up in. And no prophet is, you know, a prophet is without honor in his, in his own uh, country. And, I, and it's been very, very hard where I've been to reach people for Christ. It seems everybody comes from outside of the area and comes in and hears the message and might get saved. But, but being right in the town that I lived in, they say, hey, that's Ike Prime's boy right there. I remember him when he was young. That's the same thing they said about Jesus, you know. That's Joe's boy. You know, I know his, I know his sisters, and uh, I know all of them. And, uh, and I think it was even hard for James, his stepbrother, to even come to the saving knowledge of Christ uh, because he lived with him and, and, and was brought up with him. But James, look at the book of James now. So here it was. The Spirit of God overcame me. An amazing thing happened to me. For a few moments, I actually fell down to my knees and felt within my heart what my Savior saw on that day. I was given a clear vision of what being forsaken really meant. What being forsaken. I thought I had a tough ministry. I really did. But boy, when I looked out from that cross, and I don't want you to miss this tonight. I'm going to give you what he saw uh, from John 19 uh, but I'm going to give you what I saw and how, that, how I perceived it and how it got into my heart. I was overcome with emotion when I thought about what Jesus had to look at, let alone had to endure 
while he looked. And my heart melted, and to think that right in the middle of it all, he said those most unforgettable words. He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I mean, these statements from the cross are absolutely astounding if you really search them out and think about what he was saying on that cross. I saw something you could never see unless you were willing to vicariously and virtually put yourself on that cross on that very spot where he was crucified and think about what he was looking at when he was suffering for the sins of the entire world. Pinned to that old wooden cross, pitched high above the ground on Golgotha's hill, overlooking the walled city of Jerusalem, he could see things no one else could see there that day and no one else would ever really want to see if they were honest with themselves today. I, uh, I saw things that day that will be forever embedded in my heart and my mind, and hands down, this was the pinnacle of my entire life, uh, just that moment, <clears throat> because you could just see him up there. You could see the skull in the front. You could see people weeping there uh, because they've traveled from all around the world to come to that spot. Now, there are some people that believe that's not the spot, like most Catholics don't, uh, but most people do believe that's a spot. I know it was a spot just because of how it overwhelmed me when I got there. My eyes affected my heart that day, and Galatians 2.20 became life. I, I, you know, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. For one brief moment, I realized the reality of that verse that I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I'm alive. I'm alive. All because of him. All because of what he did for me on that cross. You know, you can, you can go to seminary. You can go to all these different things and learn all kinds of things throughout your life. And you can preach the word of God. And boy, when it... When it actually becomes real to you, it just changes you forever, amen? I can't stay away from this book. I'm sure most of you, I hope, would feel that way. I can't stay away from it. I love him so much, I can't stay out of that book. If I don't get in that book every morning at around 5 o'clock in the morning when I start my prayer time, and by the way, I prayed for those prayers you gave me last night, and I'm looking for them to be answered. If I don't get in there first thing in the morning and spend about three hours with my Lord before the daybreak, I, I just feel like I'm not prepared even to live another second of the day. I hope that's the passion you have for the Word of God because it became real to me on that day when I stood in that place. My Savior was crucified for me. Only a few feet from where I was standing and I had never considered that from that spot 2,000 years ago, how important it was, but more personally, how important I was on that particular day. He died in my place. Right? He died in your place. I never really took that so seriously until that moment that I stood there and it overcame me that he was there 2,000 years ago dying and he had me on his mind. In that place... There weren't cries of Hosanna, blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord, not even close. All they heard was jeering and the chants of people he created for himself, crying out, crucify him, crucify him. He saved others, why can't he save himself? If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Now can you be, imagine yourself on that cross. And hearing people that you're dying for chanting those things at you. He died one of the most loneliest, lowliest, and life-crushing deaths any man could suffer. Pierced with nails. Think about that. Pierced with nails. Crowned with thorns. Naked. The chances are he was totally naked. Humiliated on that cross. Bleeding. All while being balked at, gawked at by people that he created and died for. For every one of us in this place, that's my Savior. That's my Lord. You know, when I hear somebody, I'm out in the streets, and I hear somebody swear, I go, it's not, it's not his fault. 
He's the one that died for you so you could use language like that. I mean, it's, it's powerful stuff, I'm telling you. John 1.10 came to life to me that he was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. No bones are broken, but I want to tell you something. His heart must have been crushed, absolutely crushed. Remember, he was God in man. I heard my preacher say, God in skin. He had to feel what we would feel while he was there, and that must have been awful. And, and when you lose sight of that cross, you lose the whole purpose of it. And if you, and if you lose sights, the sights that he had from that cross, you lose the pain, the sight of the pain of it. And when you lose both sights, guess what you lose? The passion of it. That's what you lose. And I want to tell you something. The whole world is out there right now trying to take your mind off of that stuff, right? There's so much conflict going on out there, and it's begging for your heart and your mind, and it's just taking you. Social media is taking you places you don't, shouldn't go, and, and it's keeping you there, and you're there all the time. And all this time I'm thinking about, here was Jesus on the cross, and the only thing on his mind was you. God wrote his passion on my heart and mind that day, and that passion has never left me. So this message is about what he saw while hanging there nailed to that old wooden cross, suffering, suffocating on my behalf, on your behalf. So let's just pray for a minute, would you please, with me? Father, let's, let us just see what you saw. Let us just feel what you felt. Let us just hear a little bit of what we need to hear. Lord, give us your passion, please, I pray. In these next few brief moments, Lord, allow us to see something we've never saw before. Something that will change our hearts forever. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So last night was having a passion for his prayer house. Tonight's having a passion for people. So we go to John 19. And we're going to read. Because he wanted you to know this. It's one of the most special passages in all of Scripture. I think my favorite passage in the whole Bible is John 17, the high priestly prayer. But this is probably second. Listen to this. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you that ye may know. I love 100% words in the Bible, by the way that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and, the, and Pilate saith unto him, Behold the man. And when the chief priests therefore and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I have found, here he says, he repeats it again, I found no fault in him. I, found, I, I heard a message once by Bruce Cummings, and he preached the, the whole message was just him crying out. There's no fault in him. Amen. There's no fault in him. And I, and I remember as a young Christian hearing that message, and, and it just overwhelming that day. It was up in uh, Northfield, Massachusetts, and uh, Tom Malone was there. And I got a signature from him in my Bible. It was amazing. It was a special day. And Jesus answered him, we have a law, and by our law we ought to die because he made himself the son of God. He ought to die because he made himself the son of God. And when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid and went again into the judgment hall and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? Where'd you come from, Jesus? But Jesus gave no answer, as prophesied. Then said Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? 
And then Jesus says these most precious words. He says, thou couldst, not, thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. You know, preachers, for you preachers here, boy, if we don't realize that we would have no power at all in this pulpit if it wasn't from above. Therefore he had delivered me unto thee, hath the greater sin. And from henceforth Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, if thou, be, if thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh, him, uh, maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. Excuse me, because I, I don't see very well in this lighting here. So when Pilate therefore heard thy sayings, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover, about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. And delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. Now I want you to pay special attention to these next few verses that we're going to read. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of the skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and the two other with him, on either side one, and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city. It is very close to the city, this hill. And it is written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priest of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. And then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam woven from the top throughout. They said therefore among themselves, themselves, let us not rend it but cast lots for it. Whose shall it be that the scripture might be fulfilled? That's in Psalm twenty-two, eighteen, which saith, they parted thy raiment among them and for thy vesture they did cast lots. These things these things, therefore, the soldiers did. Now, there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, his aunt, and Mary, the wife of Cleopas. Mary, the wife of Cleopas. And Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus, therefore, saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. And then he saith to the disciple, Behold my mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things now were accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was, a, there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled, it, filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. And when Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Amen. Thus saith the word of God. Amen. What did he see there? Why does this affect me so much? Well, first of all, you know what he saw there? He saw the mother who birthed him. On that cross there that day, he saw the mother who birthed him. And she was broken. Probably breathless. Probably couldn't even breathe. Can you imagine looking down on your mother, the one who brought you into this world while you're being brutally tortured, bearing the sins of the world, even her own sins? He was saving her from her, her sins, but was unable to spare her from seeing it happen. There's nothing worse than breaking your mother's heart. Nothing worse than that. I'll share another illustration in a minute about my mom, my biological mom. But my biological mom died when I was only uh, 13 years old. 
about my stepmom, who is now 93, and I think about her when, when she had to answer the door one morning and hear from a military escort that her son stepped on a landmine in Vietnam. And all they knew at that time was that he was in critical condition somewhere in a hospital in Germany. And then all she could do at that point, this is worse than even hearing the news, I think, all she could do at that point was wait. She could not, she, they told her she could not contact him. There was no way of getting a hold of him. They would fly her over if she wanted to go over, uh, but that would take some time. And right now he's in critical condition and they're amputating his leg and they're doing all that stuff. That's my brother who I love and respect, uh, my stepbrother. All she could do right there at that moment was to wait, to hear, and see if he would survive. I remember watching my wife as she heard from a doctor that our son Luke had spinal meningitis at 11 days old. Spinal meningitis. And I watched tears run down her face as the doc said, the next 24 hours will tell if he lives or if he dies. And then she had to sit there for 24 hours because I, had, because I had to go back and watch the other kids. Just sat there and wait. Can you imagine? I can't even imagine what happened to Mary's heart that day. How Mary felt. Mary had to watch as they brutalized her son. But what we forget about is that Jesus, in all of his agony, had to look down on his mother in all of her agony. There's nothing that breaks your heart like when you break your mom's heart. Second thing I want you to see, he saw his accusers that berated him. They were heartless. They were just hateful, hurtful, the sayings that they were saying. Can you imagine being executed for a crime you didn't commit and having to look down on the ones you were dying for and they're just berating you with hateful, heartless, and hurtless comments? I remember one time in our church, I remember it just like it was yesterday, um, somebody writing on uh, one of the ballots uh, for if I was to get a, a, a pay raise or not or something like that, he doesn't deserve anything. He doesn't even deserve the money that he's getting now. Later, that same person says, I hate him. And the reason they hate because I, and I, and I still felt for her because she, her father and mother had split up. And she thought I didn't do enough to help them get back together. These were the people who at one moment were praising him. Now they wanted him dead. And here he is. He's up on that cross. He's looking at these same people we love and was and being crucified for. And he says, Father, forgive them. Do you know what that means? There's, a, there's an implied meaning there. It means the idea is implied is, Father, please don't interfere at this moment. Don't hold them accountable for their ignorance. They, they lied about him. They, they hated what he stood for, but here he was looking at them from the cross that they deserved, asking his father not to interfere. Doesn't it touch your heart? They ushered him into his death and stayed there until they could see him take his last breath. And yet, he was pleading with his father to forgive them. I remember like it was yesterday, my mom. I had been foolish, and uh, I'll probably talk about this later in the week, but I had been foolish. I was, I was about 12 years old, and I had poured gasoline. I was going to try to help my father burn the leaves in the, in the, uh, in the backyard. And I uh, poured gasoline on the leaves, and it was smoldering, and I was, kept pouring. It wasn't coming up, so I kept pouring the gasoline on it. And pretty soon it went, it blew up, knocked me over backwards, caught me on fire, and I started screaming, and I ran to the front yard and started rolling and rolling, trying to get out, but because the gasoline had been all over my clothes, because I had spilled, I fell back, and the can fell on me, it was just burning. 
And, and I remember rolling air. My father comes out and he takes the, pulls up the rug. And I mean, literally a supernatural act of power when things like that happen. He pulls up the rug out of the pantry. He goes out and he grabs me, throws me in the rug, and he rolls up the rug. He couldn't have done anything more perfect at that time. And I only ended up with third-degree burns on my left leg, skin grafts, surgeries, uh, all kinds of stuff that went on. But the rest of my body, he saved. Um, so you wouldn't want to see me in shorts. It would probably scare you. But because of that, I was at, in the house uh, away from school for six months. And while I was in the house, that's when my mother was dying of cancer. And I couldn't believe it as a kid. I was so foolish to do something so foolish as that, to put the burden back on me. And here she was trying to breathe in a room. And out of curiosity, as a kid, on my crutches, I would walk into that room and see her gasping for breath. It still to this day gives me nightmares. But it horrified her that her son walked into that room and saw her suffering like that, and she screamed at me to get out of there. Get out of here. He had to watch. Listen to me. Jesus had to watch those who were watching him and waiting for him to die, just waiting for him to take his last breath. They weren't hoping for him to live like I was with my mother. They were hoping that he would die. It's an amazing thing when you think about that. I am sure that many of them were the ones who he had helped. If you think your ministry is hard, think about that a few times. Here's another thing he saw. He saw the soldiers that beat him. Ruthless. They were. They were just relentless. They, they not only nailed him to the cross, they whipped him with a whip called uh, of cat of nine tails. They literally tore the flesh off his body, yanked the beard out of his face. They punched him repeatedly, spitting on him, ripping uh, the flesh off his body with the whip. And now, as he hung there, they were casting lots for his clothes, kneeling before him, mocking him. I hope I'm setting the stage here. They were the ones who put the crown of thorns on his head. You know, they were ruthless and relentless, and they didn't stop. It was a game to them. But it was no game to Christ because he was dying for them. When is the last time you used the Lord's name in vain? You ever thought about that or heard somebody use the Lord's name in vain? Do you realize that you're no better than those soldiers when you do that? It breaks my heart when I hear somebody use that name in vain. But do you know what goes further than that? Do you know that when you take Christ's name as your name and then you don't act like Christ, that you've taken that name in vain? I'm a, I'm a Christian, but you're using bad language, or I'm a Christian, but you're out drinking on Friday nights. I'm a Christian, but I watch all this junk and polluted stuff on the Internet. Man, you take his name, you took his name, now you're using it in vain. There were some of them who took his name. And now they were using it in vain. Even though you wouldn't stand up for him, do you remember that time you wouldn't stand up for him? We've all been through that time. I've been through it time again. That time you wouldn't stand up for him, you knew you should have said something, but you didn't say something. Can I just tell you though, that he stayed on the cross for you? Amen. Yes. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he stayed right on the cross for you. He chose to stay there for you and submit, your, and submit himself to all that suffering and ridicule because you were on his mind. Here's another thing he saw. He saw the nation that betrayed him. 
The nation had betrayed them. They were unthoughtful, unsympathetic at this particular time. They were going about their business. This is really what first got my attention when I was there. They're going about their business without any thought of him or what was going on on that hill, just like what's happening today. I mean, we're just like living in that day right now. The whole world is just going about their business right now. Nobody's thinking about when Jesus was on that hill, maybe once, once one week out of the year. Their, their creator, their sustainer, their savior was being crucified. And no one even knew it or even cared about it after he entered into that Golgotha. They just were going about with, this, with the, the um, Passover. Everyone's so consumed. Think about that. Everyone is so consumed right now with what's happening to us right now with COVID and the politics and everything that we're oblivious to what happened 2,000 years ago for us. We're oblivious of what's going on uh, for Christ's sake in the world right now. We're so concerned about all these other things. Satan has just distracted our minds away from everything. And yet the work goes unfinished. Churches are half empty. You know, when are we going to get the people back in the church? I guess when people stand up like I am and say, get back in church. You know, get back in the place that he died for. That he loved, the Bible says. Get back in them pews. Get back in the house of prayer. Maybe we could get this pandemic over quicker if we get more people praying on it in the house of God. Amen? It seems less and less people are, are, are really caring about what Jesus, who he is, what he's done, anything today. We are living in, the, in, in a me-first society right now. These are dreadful days we are living in when those in leadership want to defy the word of God and remove him and, the na and his name from everything that we stand for. I promised Jeff I wouldn't get political, and I won't. But I want to tell you something. We're living in dreadful days when we vote in an administration that doesn't condemn baby killing. Amen. Amen openly defies the word of God concerning marriage, gender. And it's all because they were offended by the mean tweets. The mean tweets. It's amazing. Isn't that crazy? Second Timothy 3, 1 through 6. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, which means without self-control, no desire to have self-control. Fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. I love verse 7 there. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. <laughs> Ever learning, but never... We, we got a nation full of self-professed intellects. Yeah. Self-professed intellects. And at the glorious celebration of his descent into Jerusalem, the Pharisees said unto the Master, rebuke thy disciples... He answers, if these should hold their peace, the stone should immediately cry out. You know, the, tr the truth is there are, there are really smart people out there who are dumber than rocks. Amen. They really are. Voting for their own demise. For the, for the, for the country that, they, that brought, really, when you think about it, this whole country is developed on Judeo-Christian principles. Amen. On Christ himself. Amen. No king but Jesus. Amen. No king but Jesus. They subconsciously think their intelligence is superior to God's. And thus the reason they voted out a president whose behavior offended them, but whose policies were the best for Christianity that I have seen in my lifetime. And voted in some guy, some nice guy, whose policies, policies are the most immoral, unbiblical, unethical in nation's history. Now listen, I am not... I'm not being political here today. I pray for Joe Biden, just like I prayed for President Trump. 
But we got to get the gospel out. I just said to Brother Jeff today, you know, most of most everything happens right now where it goes the other way is in these cities. We got to get some city ministries going, where they're getting in there into these deep into the deep uh, burrows of these cities and reach these people with Jesus. Amen. These are perilous times. That, these are the perilous times that Paul was talking about. We are calling good evil and evil good. We want rights, but we don't want righteousness. We want happiness, but we don't want holiness. We want privileges, but we don't want the responsibility of them. And this is what Jesus saw. This is what he saw from that cross. He saw all of this coming. He saw it right then with his own nation, his nation. And eventually, the world would betray him as he loved them and laid down his life for them on that cross. Here's another thing he saw. And then we'll get to the last point we'll be done. He saw the city that baffled him. Do you realize how much he loved that city? How much do you love your city? The city that you're living in right now. How much do you love it? True story. I got to tell these stories, Jeff, because I have to. And I know it gets a little lengthy. My little uh, grand, I have 16 grandkids. Did I tell you that? I love them, too. I love every one of them. Uh, one of them went to be with the Lord uh, two years ago. But one of my granddaughters, and I hope she gets this or is listening to it. I don't know if she would. She might be. Uh, how old is she? Madeline? Nine. Nine years old was my soul winner partner. She loved it. In fact, when I didn't feel like going, she said, come on, Pop-Up, you've got to go. Amen. I said, okay, let's go. So we got in the car one night, and she says, uh, where do you want to go today? I said, let's go up to the next town. I said, there's a building up there, and a man that I had led to the Lord was called into the ministry, and I wanted to see him start a church, plant a church. So I said, there's a building up there. It would be good for a church, so let's go up there, and we'll pray over that building. Before we get started, we did do our soul winning, but we went up there. We pulled in the parking lot. It's pitch black up there, and, and we're out. Me and a nine-year-old, nine, actually, she was probably eight then or seven. And, and uh, we're out there in front of that building, laying our hands on the building, saying, Lord, this would be a good building for him, right, to come and start a church right here in Kanjahari, New York. Do you realize this is what God does, and it's amazing to me. <laughs> it really is that Jesus saw this coming. Uh, he laid that on my heart to do that. We went up there and did that. Do you know that within almost one year to the day, this man planted a church in that building? Amen. Now I'm telling you, this guy who owned the building it had been sitting there for years and years and years. He won an astronomical amount of money, and that's why nobody was bothering with it. And then he made one call, and he said, just... Get in there and do what you got to do. I want to see it being used. That's our God, everybody. Amen. Those are the things that were on Christ's mind when he was there. You know, people with a heart for their city, a heart for their city like he had for Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathered her chickens under her wings. And you would not, there's another, down to Calvinism. While he was dying in the city he loved, the city he loved was going about their business. They were going about it without him getting ready for the feast of the Passover. And while they were sacrificing the lambs, the son of lamb was being sacrificed on Golgotha's hill. Jesus, or John said it best when he saw Jesus coming towards him. He said, Behold the lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And I saw and bear record that this is the son of God. But God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What more could he do to get your attention or to get that city's attention? What more could he do to even get even an honorable mention? <laughs> Listen, dear souls, what more can Jesus do to get your attention? What other chapter in the Bible? I mean, if you only had that only chapter, that only chapter alone could give you the attention, get your attention like this one does. He sent his only begotten son, God did. 
to be sacrificed for your sins. Now listen up, everyone. Meeting God at the judgment seat is very serious business, and there's no other business more important than preparing people for that day. People should be our passion. It was all about people when he was on that cross. You notice that? Son, take care of my mother. Mother, he's going to take care of you. Right? It's all about people. It's always been about people. While the world's going about their business with a passion to eradicate viruses, allocate vagrants, and advocate for villains, you know, our passion should be to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we close. He saw the mother that birthed him. He saw his accusers that berated him. He saw the soldiers that beat him. He saw the nation that betrayed him. He saw the city that baffled him. But thank God he saw one more thing. Amen? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Praise God. He saw you. He saw you, and you, and you. He saw all of you on that cross. Isn't it amazing? He saw you. We were the joy that was set before him. We were his passion. We were the people that he was dying for. We were the reason God put him on the cross. We were the reason that he stayed on the cross. The thought of losing us was more painful than any crucifixion crucifixion could have given him. The thought of loving you without being able to live with you for all of eternity was just more excruciating than all the hatred and hurt he had to endure and bear on that cross on that day. You see, because he loved you, but he lost you. Not territorially wise, he just lost you to, the, to sin. He knows right where you are, and he knows exactly who you are. And that's why he was on that cross that day. He loved you, couldn't bear losing you. He was satisfying the wrath of God against you and your sin. You were supposed to be on that cross. I was supposed to be on that cross. He took all that so you wouldn't have to take all of that. Amen. And if you want to hear something more, wait to hear tomorrow's message about when he descended three days into the earth and what he saw there. And he did that for you. What kind of love is that, everybody? What kind of love is that? Out of love for you, he gave up his life. If that doesn't burn passion into your heart right now, nothing will. If there's someone here today that's unsaved, you need to get saved. You need to get saved. Are you listening? And you don't need to wait any longer. It's finished. It's done. He took your he, he paid payment for your crime. Did your time. Wiped the slate clean. He forgave you. I don't know what you've done here in your past that keeps plaguing you. He's forgiven you. It's time to confess it. It's time to confess it. Now it's up to you to accept or the offering God made for you on that cross and repent of your sins and receive him and his gift of eternal life or, or you're going to walk out of here and reject him. If there's anyone here that's unsaved, I pray that tonight you'd make your way up here in just a few minutes as the pianist plays or who's going to play and you come up here and I will personally talk to you about Christ. I'll personally show you from the Bible how you can be saved. If there's anybody here if he's, is he calling you tonight? He's inviting you to see your, for yourself what he saw 2,000 years ago, lost and without hope. You can reject him, but you can't deny his love for you. He is waiting for an answer from you. Will you receive him and live forever, or will you reject him and die without him? I close with this. For those of us who are believers, which I believe most everybody in this building is, maybe you needed this view. 
Maybe you needed this view from the cross because you've gotten way too comfortable and way too complacent with this life. Don't raise your hand. How many of you wake up every morning and say, Lord, please save somebody or some person or someone today? Please save souls today. Every morning I wake up that way. Lord, please, please save souls. Use me if you can use me, but please save souls. There's plenty of people out there, Lord, that you can use. Are you one of those people? Or have you gotten too comfortable, too complacent, thinking about what you're going to do in this world, how much money you're going to make, what job you're going to have? You know, Have you gotten so thoughtless about the cross that you're so consumed with the world that uh, the thought of people dying and going to hell isn't even affecting you at all? Maybe you've lost sight of the importance of people. There are people dying everywhere without Jesus Christ, and you can do something about that if you had a passion again to do so. The altar call is simple. Who's going to make that commitment tonight to say, Lord, give me that passion again? I've lost that passion, or maybe you know that you've just faltered backwards a little bit. You know, I need that passion again, Lord. I want that passion. I want the same passion that Christ had on that cross for lost souls. If I had that passion again, Lord, I know I'd be effective for you. And I pray this view from the cross does that tonight for you. Let's bow our heads. I pray there are some commitments going to be made tonight for Jesus' sake. While your heads are bowed and your eyes closed, I want you to picture him on that cross. I want you to see him suffering there for you. I want you to think about what was going on that day. And while you're thinking about that, I want you to reverse your view and now look out from his eyes. See what he saw. If you're here today unsaved, not knowing for sure if you would be in heaven when you die, look to Jesus on that cross and see what he saw. He loves you. But if you're here tonight knowing you're saved, but you're in need of a revival of your soul, deep down in your soul, I pray tonight would be the night of your revival. Maybe it's time to take another look from the cross and see a world that's going to hell without Jesus Christ.